The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the Word. I'm excited to get into the Word. I got to tell you, there's things that get me worked up. There's things that, that just get my blood pumping. Even this morning, you know, uh, I was talking with my wife, and I was, was just telling her things that were on my mind, and she said, well, don't you need to get ready for, for Sunday? And I said, yeah, I do. And she said, well, don't you think you should stop talking about that then? And, and I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, you're just going to get worked up about it, you know, current events and news and things like that. And, and I agreed. I just said, you know, you're right. I need to, to get my head screwed on straight. But a lot of the current events and the things that are going on are having such a tremendous impact. They, they, they should influence us in how we go into the Word. I mean, we should be looking into the Word of God for solutions and for answers and for direction and for guidance and counsel. But I want to make sure that it's the Word that's leading us and not the situations that are leading us. And I, I think that that's a very uh, uh, important thing to pursue. But the Word this morning is really meant to equip us to deal with things that are going on. I mean, I don't know how you feel about things, but if I were to ask, uh, when you read news headlines, uh, does your, your countenance change? I mean, my hand would go up. I can be having the best day ever, and then I read news headlines, and I want to scream, you know? I mean, one of the headlines that I read was that, you know, police officer injured during BLM mural vandalism, Right? Well, then you read the article and you find out that a woman, a, an African-American woman, was pouring black paint on, on BLM, Black Lives Matter, that was written in the street, and, and the police officer slipped on the paint and fell. The headline makes it sound like she attacked him, you know. In fact, when she was arrested, what she said, this was her statement when she was arrested, I will never support Black Lives Matter, African-American woman. It's Jesus that matters, that's what she said. And they cuffed her and hauled her off. So some people have a right to paint in the streets and other people don't. If you're putting the right message in the street, go ahead, knock yourself out. But if you're putting a different message in the street, you have the right to remain silent. What you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. Isn't that interesting? So it's things like that that get me worked up. You know, I see that and I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. And so I want to turn to the Word this morning. I want to look for a solution. Here's a few things we're going to find in the Word. I mean, I encourage taking some notes. I encourage writing a few things down. I think that's important. It helps us to, to make a, a memory of those things. It gives us something that we can look back to and recall and revisit these things. But a few things we're going to find. One is what we deal with every day. Now, this isn't new. I mean, before everything that's going on in our country was going on, you were still dealing with this every day, just maybe not in the same intensity or volume or, or, or in just a different measure. But you, you still dealt with this. Every single day we deal with this, what we deal with every day. Uh, another thing that we're going to find is what happens when we appropriately deal with worry, with anxiety. What happens when we appropriately deal with it? When we handle it correctly? Something very effective and powerful happens. And then a third thing is how to put God first. I mean, we preach it, we talk it, we sing it, you know, hey, put God first. You got to put God first, you know, and it becomes kind of cliche. It becomes like, 
like a, a, an anthem or a slogan. Uh, it just becomes something that we say, putting God first. But I want to see in the Scripture, I want to read in the Scripture, I want to see instruction, how we can actually put God first so that we can apply that to our lives and actually do what we say. Put God first. So I want to get into the word. Let's just start with what we deal with every day. I told you we're going to find what we deal with every day. I'll give you a passage of scripture out of the gospel. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. I want to look at verse 34. Uh, Jesus is speaking here and, and he's bringing a, a tremendous amount of, of information that is, is truth and life changing. And he comes to a point where we begin to read in 34 where he says the following. Matthew chapter 6 verse 34. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I mean, that last part is, is what I want to emphasize. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, I have to stop when I hear this or when I read this. I have to stop and reconcile some things. Because there's been a measure of Christianity that has been you know, presented to me as a believer that when you become a Christian, you don't have trouble anymore. Well, that, that's a contradiction to what Jesus just said. Jesus just said, you're going to have trouble and it's going to be a daily thing. Each day will have trouble of its own. I want you to think about that just for a moment. I mean, just, just put yourself in a position of, of being in that crowd when Jesus is preaching and you hear him say that. I want you to consider this. I mean, what happens when you hear that? When you see this man that's bringing truth, that's bringing revelation, where you feel things in your spirit being elevated, the more that he speaks and the more that you listen, you're aware that you're being changed forever, transformed, and he tells you this. Each day is going to have trouble of its own. When I put myself in that position, when I hear those words, Jesus speaking those words to me for the purpose of building me up and, and teaching me and discipling me, I'm greatly encouraged. One, I don't feel like a freak for having trouble in my life, for having situations that are, are stressful or difficult, things not going the way that I anticipated or planned, or opposition coming my way. It's very liberating to realize that Jesus said, hey, it's going to happen, and it's going to be a daily thing. So I don't feel like I am a, an inferior Christian, which there is no such thing, by the way. But yet the devil would love to convince some of us that, that that is a thing. I don't feel like I've missed the boat. You know, when I look over here at, at my neighbor and how he or she is living and things seem to be going so right for them, the grass is always greener on the other side, so to speak. And then you begin to, to pass judgment on your own life because of the trouble that you have. I feel pretty good now knowing that Jesus said, hey, there's going to be trouble and you're going to have to deal with it every day. It's there. I feel encouraged that Jesus is aware of it. Not just now that I'm aware, but that he's aware and that he still chooses me. That he could look at me and say, man, you're going to have trouble and you're going to have trouble every day, but I still choose you, I appoint you, I anoint you, and I release you to carry my name and the authority of my kingdom in ministry. I mean, this is a really powerful and liberating thing. That he could see all of our issues, all of our trials, all the things that, that we struggle with, and that we would still be chosen. So this little statement in, in Matthew chapter 6 has a tremendous amount of power. It's encouraging and uplifting. It's liberating. It should position us to be able to deal with and handle the things 
that we're called to deal with and handle. Uh, I want to read a section out of Matthew chapter 6. We're going to see where this verse 34 comes from, the context behind it, what what it's built upon. If you're there in Matthew chapter 6, I want to begin reading in verse 25. Now Jesus is speaking, and again, he's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. He says, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. I mean, I could just stop right there and say, if you were ever going to circle or underline or highlight something in your scripture, what a, in the Bible, what a wonderful scripture to highlight. Don't worry about your life. I mean, there have been nights where I've lost sleep. I have been in situations where I felt things physically changing in, in my body, like a knot that I could feel you know, being created in my stomach over issues. And I'm thinking, this is against the word of God. For me to carry this worry, this fear, this anxiety is contrary to Scripture. It's satanic. Jesus is telling us, for this reason I say, don't worry about your life. And he goes on to say, you know, as to what you'll eat or what you'll drink uh, uh, or, or for your body, as to what you'll put on it. Now, I want to just stop there and just say these examples that he's giving, he's not giving a message on how God will always feed you and clothe you. He is speaking the truth on how God will always take care of you. I mean, I could omit the words food or drink or clothing, and I could write in whatever's worrying me. You really could. It's it's a fill-in-the-blank situation here. He goes on to say, life is more than these things. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, and yet your father feeds them. He takes care of them. Are you not worth much more than they? I want to just stop right there. Do you realize that all worry and all anxiety and all fear is an issue of individual worth? That's how he addresses it. When he's talking about this anxiety that's coming on people, this this fear and this worry that's coming on people, he's talking to them about their worth. He mentions the birds because everyone can look at the birds. Yeah, they they fly around, they they have shelter, they eat, they're taken care of. And then Jesus wouldn't just say, but aren't you uh, just just cooler than birds or, or doesn't God love you more or something like that? But he talks about worth. You're worth more than birds. He goes on as he's speaking here. He says, and who of you by being worried can add a single hour to your life? What good is it? It's total waste. Why are you worried about these things? Observe the flowers in the field, how they grow. They don't toil, they don't spin. And yet I say, not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the fields, which is alive today and tomorrow is cut down and thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? He goes on to say, you of little faith, Don't worry then about these things, saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear. And he goes on to say this, for the Gentiles eagerly seek these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. Now verse 33 is where I really want to put an emphasis. But rather than worry about these things, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. That's the foundation for verse 34 where he goes on to say, so don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
He builds this whole thing up and issues this instruction to seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto us. Now, that's, that's a, a wonderful statement. It's a wonderful passage to highlight. It's a wonderful uh, section of the word to memorize. Uh, we used to sing that in, as a song. I mean, many of you remember the song. I'm debating right now whether to sing it. Do it. Do it. You know it. And the reason why those, those things were so powerful to set to song was because you're proclaiming the truth. You're speaking the truth. So many of our songs today are, are in a pursuit of art, have become so far removed from, from Scripture. They're beautiful, they're poetic, but they're not Scripture. And when you release that Scripture, it's a powerful thing. I mean, there's songs like that, that I'll find myself singing when I'm facing difficulty or frustration. You might find me in my truck having received a phone call that the wheels are falling off, and all of a sudden I can't help but sing things like, Seek ye first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know the rest? Can you sing it? And these things shall be added unto you. Yeah, you're not wanting to sing, are you? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Yeah. And it's also a great way to get the word into your mind. Memorization. I got news for you. When I was a little kid, I did not know how to read, but I knew this, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I didn't know what those letters were. It was a cadence. It was a song. But because I could put that cadence into my mind and repeat it over and over and over, it helped me to learn those letters. And it helped me, even now, if I have to look up anything alphabetically, what do you think I do in my head? A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Yeah. You're laughing because you probably do it too, don't you? So to set those things to music, to sing them, to create that cadence is a wonderful thing because it puts it in us so that when we need it, it's there. Seek first his kingdom. I want to find out how to do that. I mean, what does that mean? It sounds so good, but what does it mean to seek first God's kingdom? To be able to, to deal with daily trouble, fear, anxiety, worry, the things that come. Well, first of all, I want to give you a passage of Scripture that's saying the same thing recorded in a different gospel. Luke chapter 12, I want to read verses 31 and 32. Jesus says this. It's recorded by, by Luke in the gospel of Luke. Chapter 12, verses 31 and 32. But seek his kingdom first, or seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Don't be afraid, little flock. Your Father has chosen to gladly give you the kingdom. That's a wonderful thing to consider. I want to talk about the word kingdom in that passage in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 6, when, when Jesus is speaking and he's telling us how to be free from all of the worry and all the fear and all the anxiety, when he's telling me how to be relaxed and at peace, when I read these news headlines that make me want to go out in my front yard and scream, how to do that? Seek first his kingdom. Well, that word kingdom is a word that we're not really familiar with. I mean, we, we don't live in a kingdom. We don't, we don't have that as our, our, our government here physically on the earth. But yet that's the government that we have been uh, transferred into as he has removed us from the domain of darkness according to the scripture and into the kingdom of his son. We have a king. His name is Jesus. That word kingdom there is an interesting word. It's a word basilia. 
if you, you look at that word, and I want to read, I mean, I, I didn't have it written down here in my notes, but I want to glance at my phone. I'm not updating my Facebook. I'm reading to you from my phone here. Basilia, when you go to a concordance and you find out its meaning, I, I want to give you these, these first two meanings that come up. I may even read more of them. Royal power, kingship, dominion, or rule. Royal power, kingship, dominion, or rule. And beneath that, it says not to be confused with a, an actual or literal kingdom, meaning like a location, you know, but rather the right or authority to rule. Did you catch that? The right or authority to rule. So when you have that as an understanding what that means, I want to apply that there. Instead of just reading, seek first his kingdom, his being Jesus. I mean, what if we were to read that and we were to say, seek first Jesus' right to rule? And all these things will take care of themselves. Seek first Jesus' right to reign, and all these things will be handled. Seek first Jesus' kingship in that situation, in that circumstance, and everything will be fine. It's going to take care of itself. I mean, it kind of takes a little bit of the, 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 the poetry that might be a distraction off, and it makes it a little more tangible that you can do this. When I think about this, I can put my mind to Jesus' right to rule in this situation. Jesus has the right to rule over the United States of America. He has the right to reign over our upcoming elections. He has the right to rule and reign over every headline that freaks me out. I can seek first his kingdom. Now, there's a way that we can actually do this. We're going to get there in the scripture, and I hope that when we get there, it affects us. I hope we decide, you know, that's how I'm going to live my life. I want to do that. I want to actually do the things with my life, with my choices and my decisions, to fulfill that scripture, to seek first his kingdom, his right to rule, his right to authority over my life and over every situation and circumstance. But I want to talk to you about worry and what it does. There's a reason why there's so much of an attempt to bring worry into the lives of people. Worry drives all kinds of things. Fear and anxiety drives all kinds of, of things, some of them extremely evil. And I want to give you a couple of things of what worry does and why we need to deal with it. Now, before we, we talk about what worry does, let me tell you what it doesn't do. We already read this, and I want to emphasize it again. I'll give you a passage out of Luke, Luke chapter 12, verse 25. What, what worry doesn't do, Jesus says, and which one of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? You don't hear Dr. Fauci say that, do you? Did you hear that he came out and said that New York is a model of how to handle this corona or coronavirus, COVID-19 situation? He said they're the model. They've handled it perfectly. 400,000 cases and 28,000 deaths. Sending COVID-19 into nursing homes. And Dr. Fauci would come out on PBS and say they're a model of how to handle it. They've handled it perfectly. You smell corruption? I do. It's bizarre, isn't it? That's one that made me want to go out in the front yard and scream, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. <laughs> uh, but which one of you by worrying can add a single hour to your lifespan? What worrying will not do is it won't make your life better. It won't make you live longer. It won't make you healthier. Worry will not add anything good to your life. 
what worrying does. Let me give you a passage of Scripture out of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down. It goes on to give the opposite or, or the antidote to this worry, but a good word makes it glad. I mean, when worry is in our heart, it is a weight, it is a burden. It does not help us to move forward. It weighs us down. It bogs you down. It becomes a burden to you. It is not a liberation. It is always going to be an issue. So I mentioned to you that that's one of the things it does. Now let me tell you what the effects are of that. When the heart is weighed down, when we do become stuck in fear and stuck in anxiety and stuck in worry, something really horrible happens. The Word of God becomes absolutely useless. Now, I was waiting to hear boos and hisses and maybe have something thrown at me there, but you might know where I'm going with this. Let me give you a passage of Scripture. It's going to sound familiar because we used the same passage except out of a different gospel just last week. Matthew 13, verse 22. Now, in this passage of Scripture, Matthew's ta- or Jesus is talking about the, the different types of soil and the, the sower sowing the seed And he comes to one people group that suffers worry. Matthew 13, 22, as Jesus is talking about worry and what worry actually does in our lives. He says, the one on whom the seed was sown among thorns, this is the man who hears the word but worries. The worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and wealth, those things come and choke out the word and it becomes unfruitful. When worry is allowed to exist in our life, the Word of God and its power and its authority becomes diminished in its effect. Did you hear that? It doesn't mean the Word of God has no power. It just means its power has no effect on your life. Because the worry has grown so big, it has now consumed more of your time, your energy, your thought, your faith than the Word. People putting more trust, more faith, And the the garbage that is being pumped into their homes through their televisions and their radios is outweighing the Word of God. This is an issue. And what I'll hear today more than anything is I'll hear people say, well, I believe in science. Which I'll let them know, hey, that's great because I know the one who made science. So what's the science behind this? And then you'll hear crickets chirp. That's just become the empty statement, the empty response with which there is no depth. Well, I believe in science. Well, what's the science? Well, I haven't heard it yet. Yeah, that's what I thought. Show me the science behind that. So we're dealing with these things. Worry, it's, it's not going to make life better. Worry actually diminishes the power and the effect of the Word of God. No wonder our enemy would want to sow as much worry into Christians as he possibly could. Hey, I can't beat the blood. Their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. But how about we make them the most impotent, powerless people on the earth? Let's fill them up with worry so that the word of God means absolutely nothing to them. So that its power and its effects become fruitless in their lives. Their words and their actions are are pointless. But we're called to live powerful lives with, with powerful words and powerful actions are being a part of our everyday existence. Because we're those who have been delivered from worry. The work that God has accomplished through Jesus to equip us to literally seek first his kingdom or his right to rule or reign in our life. 
equips us to be free from all fear, all anxiety, and all worry. And when we rightly deal with worry, a powerful thing happens. I want to give you a passage of Scripture. It's actually the second thing of the three things we were going to find. Remember, we were going to find what we deal with every day. Well, that was trouble, the things that bring worry and anxiety. That second thing we're going to find is what happens when we properly deal with worry. I'll give you a passage of Scripture here out of Isaiah Isaiah chapter 35, I want to look at verses 2 through 6. Now, i got to say, on a, on a list of passages, this probably makes Preston's favorite top 20. So it's one that you've heard before from me, and you're going to hear it a lot more. But it has a wonderful application for today's purposes, and I want to visit it today. Isaiah chapter 35, beginning in verse 2. They will see the glory of God. The majesty of our God. Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the weak. Say to those who worry or to those who are anxious in heart. Say to those who are worried, take courage and fear not. Behold, God will come and God will take care of this. That's a bit of a paraphrase. He will save you. That's not a paraphrase. And then verse 5 is the result of this. When you deal with worry with the truth that God will come and God will save, when you deal with worry by addressing it with that truth, you get this result in verse 5. Then, then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap up like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout with joy. Then waters will break out in the wilderness and streams in the dry places. Then, When worry is finally ministered to by the truth that God cares about us, that He will come and vindicate, that He will come and liberate, that He will save us, then when we're free from all of the bondage of worry that diminishes the power and the authority of the Word of God and its effects in our lives, once we're freed from that, then you see these powerful effects. Then you see these miraculous effects. Then you see this revival, a transformation of even demographic. The dry places will break out with streams of living water. No wonder there's such an attempt to cripple Christians with worry. So how do we deal with this? How do we deal with worry? If we come to see, oh my gosh, I've never noticed that. I need to see worry out of my life. I need to make sure I don't make any room for worry to exist in my life. I want to work on that. I want to apply this. I don't want to just hear this and think, wow, that was an interesting message. If this is the truth, then I want it applied to my life in such a way that my life is affected. I want it for me and I desire it for you too. How to deal with worry. I'll give you a passage of scripture out of Philippians. I want to give you this passage out of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, I want to look at verses 4 through 9. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. That used to be a scripture song too back in the day. That was one that would end up getting a high heel stuck in one of these ceiling tiles, you know. (laughs) Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And everybody danced like this. You remember this? Remember that one? It's like, we called it the Pentecostal two-step. 
really, you could make a workout video out of that, I think, because I just got kind of winded doing that. <laughs> My knee hurts, too. Look out. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Then it goes on to say, let your gentle spirit, your gentle spirit, not your freaked out spirit, not your anxious spirit, not your worried spirit, not your panicked spirit, but your gentle, your calm, your gentle spirit. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. We are not the chicken littles running around saying the sky is falling. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. It goes on to say, the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus. Now, I think that is a wonderful passage of Scripture, but I'm not sure that our answer lies just in that passage. That passage is talking about the the wonderful uh, results of surrendering these things to God, but I want to know how to get there in the first place. How do I get to that place where I can go and surrender those things to God? How do I come to the place where I can go into my prayer closet and begin to offer unto God with thanksgiving those prayers and those supplications that will lead me to that place where His peace guards my heart and my mind? I think you find that in the next verse. Look at verse 8. It says, finally, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence in anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Think on these things. I realize something when I read that. That the gateway for anxiety to exist in my life or be cast out of my life is my thought life, my mind, my thoughts. I can either think about all the headlines I'm reading and think about all the news that I'm hearing and think about those things and let it completely consume me into an utter panic or I can begin to think about Jesus. I can begin to think about how he set me free and delivered me. How I should be dead or locked up or locked up and then dead. But here I stand free and liberated, delivered. I begin to think about those things that are true, that are lovely. I begin to think about those things and all of a sudden those thoughts begin to multiply into more thoughts that are godly and good and righteous and just. And before you know it, there's no room left in my mind for fear. No room left for anxiety. No room left for worry. There's a reason why as Christians we have as a wonderful promise the renewal of our mind. Because so much rises and falls on our thought life. There's a reason why all of the political agendas that are attempting to turn this country upside down are trying to influence the way people what? Think. I think it's time for us to take every thought captive, just like the Word says to. To seek God for the mind of Christ, just like we're called to. And to take inventory of how we think. Am I focusing on what is lovely, what is right, what is good? Am I focusing on those things? Or am I focusing on the garbage that I'm being fed day in and day out, 24-7? 
And I want to think on the things that are godly. I want to think on the things that are honorable, right, pure, lovely. I want to think on those things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And when I do that, I believe I'm in control of what comes out of my life as far as my thought life is concerned. When I put those things in, I'm not being led by the garbage that is trying to sweep me away. And God's called me by His Spirit to live a life of self-control. It's one of the fruits of the Holy Ghost. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And when you think about what self-control is, it doesn't really take a rocket scientist to figure it out. My boys used to have a, a CD. I used to have the record. It's the reason why I wanted to get them the CD. Because I remember how powerful these songs were. It came out uh, years and years and years ago. It was called The Music Machine. And it had all these goofy songs that get stuck in your head. But one of them was self-control. And the chorus was, self-control means just controlling myself. It's doing what is smart and listening to my heart. It's kind of a country song, you know, goofy. But it's funny to me that self-control just means nothing else is controlling you. You're not being controlled by the media. You're not being controlled by a political uh, a party. You're not being controlled by the headlines and the news or the radio. Self-control. It's important that we monitor what we think about. That we take inventory of our thought life to protect from being swept away and controlled by others. <clears throat> I want to give you a passage of scripture here from the psalm. Psalm 94, 19. Now, this is the psalmist writing, and he says, When anxious thoughts, when worrisome thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. I have to look at that passage of Scripture and just think, you know, this, this poetry that's being written here has so much left to, to be understood or read between the lines. Here's somebody who's obviously in a situation where worry is increasing. It's not, hey, you know, I had a weird thought today, but it's, wow, this is winning. It's flooding and taking over my mind. When I feel those things multiplying within me, it's only your consolation. The, the idea that you are God, the idea that you're true, that you're righteous, that you're just, that you cannot lie, that you will not change. When you say you won't leave or forsake, you won't. It's only those things that bring delight to my soul. Things like this from Isaiah chapter 41. If you want to write one down, you know, maybe print it out, stick it on your dashboard so that you can always be consoled by, by what God thinks. This is a good one. Isaiah 41, 9 and 10. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not worry or look around you, but know that I am God. I will strengthen you. I will surely help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And when you're done reading that, just say, yeah. <laughs> so how do we seek his kingdom first? How do we seek his right to rule? What is it that we can do? What is it that you and I can do in our daily lives to make that passage of Scripture be one that is fulfilled through our existence? 
I want to give you a passage of scripture in closing here. I told you before we we're going to find how to put God first. I think we'll see it here. 1 Peter chapter 5. I want to look at verses 6 and 7. First Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. I just want to look at the two, 6 and 7. The passage reads like this, Therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you at the proper time. Cast all of your worry on him, because he cares for you. Now, when I read that passage of Scripture, I've read it, I've preached it, I've talked about you know, how humbling yourself under God's hand so that he can promote you. I've talked about that as it concerns promotion and success. But I want to consider something. The idea that God would relieve us of worry. It says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you at the proper time, casting all of your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. When I read that passage of Scripture today, it's different for me. And I think it will forever be different for me. I see it as instruction. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you at the proper time, casting all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I see the call to do something and then I see the instruction in how to do it. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God by casting all of your worry on him. Humble yourself under God by handing off your worries to Him. Do you realize what you do when you hand God your worries? You make God bigger than your worries. Do you realize the opposite is true when you hold on to them? When worry is prevailing in our hearts and our minds, it's bigger than the promises that we see in the Word. When we are, are led by anxiety, led by fear, led by worry... The foundation of those things is doubt. Doubt in what? Doubt that God will fulfill His word and accomplish what He said He would accomplish on our behalf. So I see this now as instruction. When I see things like seek first the kingdom of God, I realize what that means. It means I need to give God all of my worries. I need to give Him my fears. I need to give Him my anxieties. I need to give Him my doubts. I need to take those things to Him and lay them down to Him. That is how I can... Bring this word into to reality in my life. It's how I can make him bigger than those things. It's how I can seek him first. It's how I can identify his right and his authority to rule over any situation and circumstance that I face. I can give my worry about that thing to him. And I want to do that. I want to encourage you to do that. I want us to take inventory of our thoughts and our thinking. I want to apply this and I'm believing God for the powerful results that are promised in his word. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray over us. I want to trust and believe that God has great things for us. When I read that passage of scripture out of 1 Peter... I don't think it's meant to be overcomplicated. I think to give God our cares or to give Him our anxieties or to give Him our worries is simply to do that and trust that all of the results are 100% up to Him.
I mean, I think that it's involved in your prayer life. I think it's revealed in your, your actions following those things. But that is something that I want to trust and ask God by His Spirit to lead me into, and I want Him to do the same for you. And I trust and believe for really powerful and effective results. If we could be impacted in our minds and in our hearts, to not let fear and anxiety prevail and be carried by us, but that we can see God's Word as bigger, that we can see God's presence as more powerful, if we can truly live out a life that testifies, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I think we can see the effects of Christianity that we long for in our songs, in our prayers, in our meetings. And as the word promises, all of these things will be added unto you. It's really an issue of priority. And I want God to get our priorities right. I want to ask him for help in that, that we would be willing to surrender our priorities to him, that by his spirit, those things could be put into order. I want to pray for that this morning for me. I want to pray and ask God to, to touch and affect your heart and your mind as well. If you're willing to be a part of that, you can simply be in a state of agreement. But I want to pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your presence. We rejoice in the power of your truth. We don't want to be led astray by fear and anxiety. We don't want to be consumed by worry. We don't want to see your word and your promises have their effects diminished within our lives. Rather, we want to see the full measure of your kingdom and all of its power and all of its glory bestowed on our lives and through our lives into this world. All of the stain of worry and doubt and fear and anxiety that would be upon us, let it be washed away by truth. Let us come to a place where we'll submit and surrender all of those cares and all of those anxieties, all of those concerns and fears that might touch our lives, let us surrender them to you. Let it be in prayer and let it be proven and lived out through our actions and our words. That we would truly be a people delivered from those things. And let the effects of that deliverance be released into the world. Let there be signs and wonders. Let the stability and the security that results from truly Allowing the kingship and the headship of Jesus Christ to rule and reign in our lives, through our hearts and our minds. Let this testify of your goodness. And let it be the greatest act of evangelism that we could ever release through our lives. That simply our lifestyle and our commitment to surrender all of our worries and all of our anxieties to you, to be liberated from those things, would draw men and women unto you as they would see the peace that we live in that which surpasses all understanding. We surrender our thought lives to you. Let there be a conviction. If we've opened up the door for corrupt thinking to flood our minds and our hearts, let us close that door in Jesus' name. And let us fill our hearts and our minds with those things that are lovely and those things that are true, those things that are honorable, those things that are worthy of praise. Let our thoughts be turned to all of those things that would liberate us from the captivity of worry. And let those wonderful results bring you honor and glory. 
as we live out our lives in the full measure of victory that you have purchased for us with the blood of your Son. We give you thanks for Jesus. Let him be magnified and glorified. Let our hearts be softened and our minds be renewed to his right to rule and reign over our lives every single day. We bless your name and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. We rejoice in that you hear our cry and that you respond by your spirit in power. And we receive that effective ministry to forever be transformed for your namesake, for your glory, for the expansion of your kingdom. We bless you, we praise you, and we give you thanks. And all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.